morning, Calvary. What a privilege, privilege opportunity it is to be back here and to see so many people who had a significant, significant impact in my life, in our family's life. And uh, I just say, wow, look at what God is doing. And uh, thank you for being such a healthy expression of a community of believers in this church or in this community and an example to networks of churches not only across the state, but really around the world. And as you've already heard, the impact that you're having through missionaries, and uh, it, is, it is so fun. But you know this, and I'll remind you of something I know you already know. Great churches aren't built accidentally. It takes real intentionality. It takes a community of people like yourself that understand church is more than a religious fraternity, that we're a missional body that's seeking to advance the kingdom of God. And that's critical these days, isn't it? How many of you know America's is in trouble. We're redefining morality, religious liberties and freedoms seem to be eroding. But So I'm, I'm confident that the, the hope of America is not found necessarily in economic reform or political parties. The hope of America is found in healthy churches like Calvary Church where we're advancing the kingdom of God and seeing life changes be the primary thing that we have happening. So I, I thank you for that. But i got to tell you, I'm in a different church Every week, sometimes twice a week, and I can just tell you from a fact, churches aren't built accidentally. It's folks like you, it's the, it's, it's the sovereignty of God, the freedom of the Holy Spirit, but it also takes great, great leadership. And there is no doubt in my mind, when it comes to great leadership, you really do have the best setting down there. So thank you, Pastor Chad and Rhonda and Pastor Bill. Thank you guys for the leadership that you provide to this church and the impact that's having around the world. So thank you so much. Excited about bringing a message. I do have to give a shout out. My uh, youngest or oldest daughter watched the first service online and text me several times. Hey, Dad, are you going to give a shout out? Dad, are you going to give a shout out? So not to be outdone, my youngest daughter just texts me in between services. Uh, Dad, are you going to give a shout out to us? So from my girls and my family to you, this is a shout out to them. Hello from Toledo Calvary. Um, uh, Gail is with the girls. We have two girls, two son-in-laws. Uh, my oldest adopted two children and uh, had some physical complications. Was told you'll never have children. But four weeks after our youngest announced that she was pregnant, our oldest then announced, oh, "I'm pregnant too." So. <laughs> Come October, we'll have four grandchildren under the age of three in our home. And I just looked at Gail and I said, I'll see you in 21 years. <laughs> and she is doing Mimi's daycare and loving life. And it's just a, it's a great blessing, a great season. And so, but this church, this church is a special, holds a special place. Just hugging some necks and getting hugged from behind from my golfing buddy Lance Fuller or seeing some deacon friends that just have made an impact in my life and heroes of the faith like Sister Van, who's sitting right down here, who uh, made a great contribution to the kingdom of God, her and her husband for years. Uh, heaven is populated because of their ministry. And so this church really, if you're new, I, I'm telling you, there's no church like Calvary Church. And uh, I pray that you'll roll up your sleeves, you'll get in and, and, and make Calvary Church uh, continue to be a great church of excellence. So, hey, take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn with me to Romans chapter 4. I am excited about bringing a message this morning entitled, Hanging Out in God's Waiting Room. Have you ever been in a hurry when God wasn't? Somebody said every day. <laughs> you know, one of the most difficult things in life 
is to sit in God's waiting room. Now, God's waiting room is that place where there's something beyond your control that you want to speed up, but you're not in control of it. Maybe it's a prayer, a miracle, a change in a situation. You're desperately wanting something to, to speed up and to have resolve, but it doesn't seem like God is working at the same pace that you want him to work at. Our scriptures this morning, Paul, the author of the book of Romans, writes about an Old Testament patriarch named Abraham who found himself in God's waiting room. And I think there are some, I think there's some lessons for us today on this Lord's Day to glean from the life of Abraham. Let's pick up our reading in verse 17 of Romans chapter 4. Paul writes this, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our Father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead. Can I just say, aren't you glad we serve a God who gives life to the dead? <laughs> and I am. I'm just excited today about that fact. And that he calls into being things that were not. Verse 18, watch this. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him so shall your offspring be now watch without weakening in his faith he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and Sarah's womb was also dead yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God if there was anybody who knew what it was like to hang out in a waiting room, it was Abraham. You see, God came to Abraham when he was 75 years old, and he made this promise. He said, you're going to have a child. This child's going to become a great leader. This leader's going to become a great nation. It'll become the nation of Israel. And at age 75, God promised Abraham that. But at age 99, the promise hadn't yet come to fulfillment. 24 years waiting on God to come through for what he said he would do. I don't know if I've been in the waiting room that long, but I know I've been in a waiting room when I seem to have been in a hurry and it doesn't seem like God is. So from the life of Abraham, because Paul said these things were written in Scripture that you might believe. And so we understand that Scripture is written for our benefit that it strengthens us. So from Abraham's life, I'd like to give you three takeaway truths, especially if you're in the waiting room experience today, that might just lift your faith. The first thing I notice about Abraham is that he kept in mind that God can do absolutely anything. Now, if you believe that God can do absolutely anything, would you say amen? amen. I do too. You see, just because the situation is out of your control doesn't mean it's out of God's control. So sometimes you have to stop focusing on what you can't do and start focusing on what God can do. And that's exactly what Paul meant in verse 17 when he said, As it is written in Scripture, Abraham believed the God who gives life to the dead and creates something out of nothing. I would submit to you in a miracle that's exactly what happens. God gives life to something that's dead. He creates something out of nothing. It's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 when he said, What's impossible with man is possible with God. See, Abraham, Abraham put his faith in God. He didn't put his faith in himself. He didn't put his faith in accountability group. He didn't, put his, he didn't even put his faith in his own feelings, or he didn't put his faith in positive thinking. 
Now, don't get me wrong. Positive thinking is good. After all, what's the alternative? Negative thinking? Nobody likes to be around negative and critical people. But you know, here's what I've discovered. Positive thinking can only take you so far. Positive thinking works when you're dealing with stuff that you are in control of. But when you're dealing with situations that are out of your control, when you're dealing with relationships that you have no ultimate control to the outcome, you need a faith in a God who specializes in the impossible. And so Abraham, Abraham put his faith in God. And that's what sustained him for 24 years waiting for God to come through. There's a second truth that I noticed, particularly in Abraham's life, that got him through the waiting room experience, and that's this. He fully embraced that God's promises were valid. He kept in mind and he kept alive in his spirit that God's promises are valid. Notice verse 18. Abraham, when hope was dead within him, have you ever felt like hope was dying inside of you? You know, you, you can tell that hope is starting to die inside of you when you start to use the word never. I'll never. We'll never. She'll never. He'll never. They'll never. They, this will never. There's this, there's this negativity that manifests itself in this word never. And yet, the Bible says, he went on hoping in faith, believing that he would become the father of many nations. Watch this. He relied on the word of God, which definitely referred to your descendants. Hope dying inside of us. Church, I am convinced that as followers of Christ, you and I can handle almost any setback, any trial, any unexpected adventure in life, that if we will get to the place of relying on God's word rather than just listening to ourselves when we're in the waiting room. Have you discovered that when you go through one of those why is this happening to me type times, you have a tendency to listen to yourself, sometimes more than you do the truth of God's word? And I don't know about you, but myself lies to me at times. <laughs> myself doesn't always tell me the truth, but God's word will never lie to me. God will never break a promise. God, God hasn't written something in here and then just said, well, I might, I might fulfill that for some people in some nations, but now, I'm telling you, every promise in the book is mine, every chapter, every verse, and every line. And I've discovered the value and the validity of God's word when I came to this realization that God has both the integrity and the ability to back up every promise in the book. You ever, been the, you ever been the victim of a broken promise? <laughs> it hurts. And generally, broken promises happen because somebody doesn't keep their word or they don't have the ability to back up what they promise. But I'm here to declare to you, we serve a God who's got both the integrity and the ability to back up every single promise he said in his word. I, this came into living color and full view to me my freshman year in Bible college. For those that I had the journey of journeying with for eight years here, you, you know my story. I was born and raised in Adrian, Michigan. I'm a preacher's kid. I'm a third-generation preacher's kid. So I love the church. Man, I love growing up in the church. I knew which Sunday school teacher served the best snacks. So if the service was going long, I'd go find that supply closet, and I would chow down on double-stuffed Oreo cookies. I mean, I just, I love the church. <laughs> I was left many Sunday nights sleeping in a pew in the church, you know. And I just, I grew up with this healthy understanding of God's people and the gathering together. In fact, I was 
recounting to some folks earlier today, you know, every major impacting event in my life has happened in the church. I was dedicated as a baby in the church. I was born again in the church, water baptized, spirit baptized, received a call into the ministry of the church. Uh, I'm confident that the church really does work, and I love the church. When I was nine years old, my dad, who was pastoring there in Adrian, Michigan, um, died suddenly of a heart attack. He was 40 years old and died of a massive heart attack. I was nine. My brother was 15. My sister was 18. But as a part of a great church like Calvary Church, and um, growing up, I never felt the impact or I never felt sort of uh, less fortunate or dysfunctional by being raised by a single parent because I had all these spiritual dads. I had Royal Ranger commanders who helped me build my Pinewood Derby car. I had youth sponsors that would take me to Detroit Tiger baseball games or father-son campouts. Quite honestly, growing up, I felt sorry for kids who only had one dad because I had all these spiritual dads in that church. Let me, let me just put a sidebar comment. If you're here today and you happen to be a single parent, can I first of all just say, number one, you're my hero. And secondly, I want you to know you can make it. You can make it. There's a grace of God, I believe, that is given to single, single mom. But I, I'm telling you, you'll need, you'll, you'll want the support and the strength of a healthy church like Calvary Church. So I took off and went to Bible college when was, after graduation, and that's where it hit me. See, I started meeting other preachers' kids, my suite. We had two in my room and two in another room, and three of them were were preacher's kids. In fact, one was a preacher's kid from Carlinville, Illinois, and he'd go home on the weekends, and his dad would give him an opportunity to take part in the service or maybe part, be a part of a governance meeting. And he'd come back and say things, you know, my dad said this is how we ought to do assimilation. My dad said this is how we ought to do leadership development. My dad said this is how we ought to do My dad said, my dad said, my dad said. And for one of the first times in my life, um, I felt like I had been cheated by God. Don't know if you've ever been there. But I, I was like, God, I'd like a dad that would walk out some of these spiritual principles with me. I'd like a dad that would mentor me in the pastoral thing. I'd like a dad. And, and you know, one of the reasons why you've got to keep an understanding of God's words being valid, because the enemy likes to play head games with you when you can't figure out the timing of the Lord. And he'll come in and he'll try to rob dreams. He'll try to turn your perspective negative. He'll, he'll, he'll interrupt interpersonal relationships. And all of a sudden, I started thinking that, that, that God was unfair, that God was unjust, and I was ready to quit school, go home, take care of my mom, abort this dream of going in the ministry, because I thought somehow God was unjust, unfair. I remember calling home uh, one night, my mom, 84, who will be here in the third service. My mom, my mom is a piece of work. My mom's got more energy this entire worship team had up here earlier in the service. She walks four miles every day. She's on Facebook. In fact, go on Facebook right now and go, hey, your little boy's doing a great job, Sister Clay. You know, and give me some shout out and some props. But she is, she is a hoot. She is just a hoot, one of my dearest friends. And um, I remember calling home. I sort of now understand how she must have... I said, Mom, this doesn't make sense. Why would God do something so unjust to our family, taking Dad at an early age? This doesn't make sense. Can you connect the dots for me? And like only a cool, godly mom, pastor's wife could do, she said, Honey, I can't answer your whys, but I will promise you this. And she broke into this really cool prayer. And the prayer went something like this. 
Lord, you said in your word. Now, I got to tell you something. I was raised by my mom using that phrase an awful lot. Lord, you said in your word. Can I tell you something? At age 52, as an executive of the Assemblies of God, I am convinced not everything she said was in the book was really in the book, okay? I think she just leveraged it to get her way in disciplining us boys. Can't wear shirts on Sunday. Really? Much? Yeah, it's in the book, you know. And but this time, this time, this time, she was spot on. And so she broke into this prayer and she said, Lord, you said in your word, you would be a father to the fatherless. And I claim that reality for my son, Doug. We hung up and I didn't feel any better. I still had this attitude and I now was turning everything inward, kind of feeling like a victim, yada, yada, yada. And so I, um, Thursday came, Friday came, I was still convinced quitting school was my option. I, um, I went to chapel. There was a missionary there and I don't remember who the missionary was and I don't remember what the what the call was for. But I just know this. When all of the students in chapel were coming forward, singing a little chorus, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, I, I didn't. I just turned around and I knelt there in my chapel seat. And I, you know, you, you, you let some unresolved issues get in here and not process it through Scripture. It affects your prayer life. Because I wasn't even praying. I was just venting frustration. God, this thing. God, why would you allow something like this to happen? I'd been in that self-pity kind of position for a few minutes, and pretty soon I felt the strength and the warmth of this huge hand placed on my back. I turned around and I looked, and there was Coach Arnold, Forrest Arnold, as the athletic director and the basketball coach for Central Bible College. 6'6", 250 pounds, just a hulk of a man, and he had his hand on my back, and when I turned and I looked, he had a crocodile tear coming down his cheek. He said, Duggar, I know your dad. We went to school together. I know your mom. Both of them would be really proud of you. And then it happened. He took his hand and he pulled it over to my shoulder and he pulled me really tight into himself. So I just want you to know, as long as you are at Central Bible College, I consider you like my own son. But when he said son, (laughs) I jumped up and I tried to hug him and he hugged me and I snotted and cried all down the front of his shirt and... Calvary, can I tell you from that day till now, I have never doubted God's ability or integrity to back up every promise in this book. I can't promise you that life is going to be hassle-free. I can't promise you some of your kids who were raised in the faith may not walk away for a while. I can't promise you that good people aren't going to disappoint you. I can't promise you that you're going to sail through life without any physical stuff or relational stuff. But I can promise you this, though mountains may crumble and seas run dry, it's the word of our God that stands forever. And God honors his word. God honor. That's why this church uses so many scriptures when you preach because I've discovered there's nothing more better than wrapping your heart and your mind around scriptures when you go through a difficult time. So Abraham, when hope was dying inside of him, God wasn't coming through. It had been 24 years. Relied on the word of God. Say that with me. He relied on the word. Say it again. He relied on That's a great takeaway for today. If you're in the waiting room, I encourage you, rely on the Word of God. So he kept in mind, man, God can do absolutely anything. He kept in mind God's promises are valid. 
There's one more truth. There's several, but the one more we'll unpack this morning. That's this. Abraham had an ability to face the reality of his situations, his facts, with faith. He faced his facts, the reality of their situation, with faith. Look at verse 19. It says, Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. But look at verse 20. Yet he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. There's the value of the word of God there. Now, I would submit to you, don't miss this teaching point. Abraham was not denying reality. He recognized that he and his wife were both well beyond childbearing years. He was 99, she was 89. And so he had come to grips with, we don't have a child and it's probably not going to happen. You say, well, Pastor Clay, what's the connection there? You see, the connection is this. Real faith, biblical faith, sustaining faith in your life never ignores the reality of your situation. That's very important because there's a brand of teaching out there in Christianity that says if you're a person of really mature faith, then you'll never have any issues. <laughs> Baloney. Yeah, right. Reigns on the just and the unjust. Sickness comes to Christians and non-Christians. Job layoffs, life interruptions, kids going astray. That happens to those in the household of faith and those out of the household of faith. So real faith doesn't ignore the realities of our issues in life and the facts of life, but real faith looks squarely in the, fact, in the face of life's issues and says, you know what, i got a God that's bigger than this. His name is Al Shaddai. He is the God of plenty. In, his strength, in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. That's that. I suspect I had this indelibly impressed on my life several years ago when my kids were young. I have two girls, Ashley and Kaylee, and earlier in our ministry career, I had the privilege of doing youth ministries. In fact, with Pastor Bill, we were in student ministries together, and part of my responsibilities was to run youth camps for the state of Ohio. We'd plan and schedule youth camps, and I, I loved youth camps. I loved things like Summer Blast that was advertised on the announcements. Boy, do whatever you can to get your children and your young people engaged in the church. Pastor Chad didn't ask me to do this, but I, I, can I just tell you, um, <laughs> travel sports are good. I want my kids to do sports. I want them. But when travel, traveling sports becomes more important than coming to the house of God, we're sending a wrong message to our children. Now, you send your complaining email to dclay at ag.org, not Chad Gilligan, because he didn't. But I am watching in culture today that many of us will sacrifice like crazy for our children and our grandchildren, make sure they have the best soccer shoes, make sure that we're traveling to, to this city, to that county, to that region. And if you're not careful, there's nine weeks that sometimes they're not engaged in church. That's not healthy for a child's spiritual formation. Did I say that right, Pastor Bill? Oh, okay, good. I, was, I don't know. My ADD just kicked in right there. I almost felt like I was pastoring this church for a moment. But... I have two girls, Ashley's six, Kaylee was four. We were doing these youth camps, and it was, a, it, was, it was awesome to watch kids come and get away at camp and retreat and encounter God. Well, we were in um, Big Prairie, Ohio. It was a youth camp. And you know one of the mysteries of life is two kids can come from the same stock and be radically different. Have you ever experienced that? I'm going to ask the Lord about that someday. Well, Ashley loved I mean, Ashley would get up in the morning, come to the counselor meetings with us. She would go out on the ball field. She would come to pre-service prayer. She just shadowed me for a week, and it was cool. 
It was Wednesday night. It was Holy Spirit night. The camp speaker talked about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a student's life and, and, and how he, the important role that he plays in spirit baptism and being spirit-empowered and, and walking in the fullness of the Spirit. And so it was, a great, it was a great, great service. And somewhere in his teaching, he made reference to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That oh, was, was awesome. So we're walking back to our cabin, and Ashley, who's six years old, halfway back, stops me and says, Dad, I got a question for you. I said, Yeah, babe, what's that? She said, Between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, which one's really God? I thought to myself, You know, that's a really great question. I said, Babe, that's a really great question. But I think that's one of those questions you and your mom should bond over when we get back to the cabin. No, Dad, which one's really God? And I said, well, babe, here's the deal. When we get back to the cabin, you put your jammies and I'll come in and tuck you in, and I'll walk this out with you. She said, okay. So we're walking back. I'm going, how in the world do you explain the profound spiritual mystery of the Trinity to a six-year-old? I don't want to blow this. I want to get this right. I'm thinking to myself, WWCG, what would Chad Gilligan say in a time like this? You know, I just needed some divine wisdom and inspiration. And, and so she goes into her room, and I'm contemplating, how do I unpack the, the, just the, the breadth and the depth of the mystery of the Trinity to my six-year-old? Because she, she wanted to know which one's really God. So pretty soon I hear this scream come from the other room. Dad, come in here quick. Oh, great, a mouse got in her room or something. So I, I walked into the room, and she's sitting up on her bed. Her eyes are wide open. I walk in. She said, I figured it out. I figured it out. I thought, cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> six-year-old explains the mystery of the tree. I'm going to write a book. Look out, focus on the family. You know, I, I'm in on this thing. And I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, well, tell me, babe, between God the Father, God the Son, God the... Which one's really God? She looked at me. She says, now, Dad, if you just thought about it, you could figure it out, too. (laughs) At age six, a spirit of her mom was already coming over on her at that time. I said, well, sweetheart, help me a little bit. She said, God the Father. I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, well, babe, why is that? And she looked at me and she said, because he's the tallest. (laughs) And you want to know something? Pastor Chad can fix this next Sunday in his series more. But I've never tried to change her theology. Because in junior high, when she was going through some relationship struggles, hey baby, God's the tallest. In high school... This All-American Junior Bible Quizzer, Fine Arts Festival participant, kind of started experimenting with cutting. Hey, baby, God's the tallest. In college, when she's trying to put it all together, God's plan for her life, hey, baby, God's the tallest. Now watch this, Calvary Church. When you instill the Word of God into your children when they're young, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. For here is the rest of the story. So she's married today. Uh, Ashley has her master's in family services. And a couple years ago, she worked for a particular ministry that worked with unwed pregnant gals and helping them either develop life skills to be a godly single mom or to journey in the process of adopting the baby out. Powerful ministry. She's still in family services, but 
So I'm, I'm preaching in Midland, Michigan, and do any of you have members of your family that are like this? If you don't answer their text right away, they keep texting you back. You know, hello, hello, you there, Dad? So I'm preaching. I'm in. I'm preaching away, and I'm. I have my phone here, and it starts going off. Dad, call me quick. Dad, ASAP. Dad, you there? Hello, hello. I'm. Oh, great. So after the service, I get on the phone. I said, Babe, what's up? She goes, Oh, Dad. She goes, I need you to send me every scripture you can on purpose, on dream, on destiny. I said, What's up? She says, I have a young girl coming in that's at the end of her first trimester and she feels that terminating the pregnancy is the best option because this pregnancy is an interruption to her dreams and her life. So, Dad, please, can you... I said, oh, babe, I will. We had a word of prayer and hung up. We hung up. I started texting her verses like Psalm 139. I knew you while I formed you together in your mother's womb. I was texting her the Jeremiah 29:11. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper, not to harm you. Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, and we are more than conquerors. And all these scriptures, and I fired them out. Well, the next day, the next day, I, I, uh, the curiosity got the best of me. I just, I called her. I said, Babe. I said. How did your appointment go with that young gal? She said, oh, Dad. She, she was from a very affluent family, and she was convinced that this pregnancy was a major interruption to some of her career and life goals and was pretty confident that uh, terminating the pregnancy was her best option. I said, what would you do? She said, well, I was very clinical, and I asked all the leading questions, and I talked about options, and I said, well, Anne, and she said, I could tell I wasn't getting through. I said, well, what would you do? She said, I put my notebook down and I walked around from behind the desk and I put my arms around her neck and I said, sweetheart, I may not fully comprehend all the fear and all the anxiety and everything you're going through, but I was taught at an early age and believe it today that we serve a God that's taller than the circumstances we find ourselves in. And I want you to know that's true here. Six months later, an eight-pound, four-ounce baby boy was born, and he's been adopted into a Christian home. How many of you know God's the tallest? God's the tallest. So maybe you're in a waiting room, and there are physical circumstances, there's career circumstance, and you're like, God, are you going to come through on this? You don't have to turn your head and somehow kind of, well, I'm not experiencing kind of not confess it. You can look squarely in the face of the issues that are in front of you and you can declare the fact that you serve an El Shaddai tall God. Face your facts with faith. Not in yourself and not, but in a faith that you have a God that's the tallest. Okay, we got to land this teaching and maybe the team can come up. And so um, God's waiting room. That place we find ourselves when we're in a hurry and it doesn't seem like God is. If you're here this morning and you happen to be in the waiting room, I want to leave you with these two thoughts. Thought number one would be this. Um, God's in the waiting room with you. I said God's in the waiting room with you. See, here's what I've discovered in my life. Rarely will God airlift me out of the waiting room but he's always there in the waiting room with me. It's a part of his nature. I mean, you think about it. He was with Jonah in the middle of the belly of the whale. He was with Paul and Silas in prison. He was with Joseph in that season of false accusations and mistreatment by his boss. He was with the prodigal son in the pig pen. He was with Elijah during that time of depression. 
say, Doug, what's your point? My point is this. God may not airlift you out of the waiting room, but I promise you, you can find his presence in the waiting room for nothing is too short. The arm of the Lord is not too short to reach out and to comfort his people, the word of God says. So if you're in that waiting room experience, be be encouraged today. God's in there with you. Look for him. Secondly, if you're in the waiting room experience, I would encourage you with this. It's okay to lean on other people's faith when you're in the waiting room. Because sometimes other people's faith might be the very faith you need to see a miracle happen. And this church helped me experience that. When we were pastoring here, three years into the pastorate, my wife, Gail, who is a registered nurse, um, got sick. And got sick for a long period of time. Weeks, weeks turned into months. And we couldn't find a health, we couldn't find a diagnosis for her sickness. Her symptoms were really scary. She'd pass out without any awareness of what's coming on. And when she'd come to, she'd be numb on the left side of her face, the left side of her arm. So stopped driving for a while. With two little girls at home. She was homeschooling. She was homeschooling. I wasn't. But she was, she was doing that. And um, days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. If you've ever been sick and tired for a long period of time or you've cared for someone who's sick and tired for a long period of time, how many of you know you get sick and tired of being sick and tired? And I particularly got discouraged because we were in a season, I, I, I can, I, oh, I could give name. We were in a season where it just seemed like the Lord was touching people. We used to have this order of service where a couple songs in, we'd invite the elders of the church to come forward and anoint people with oil. And man, we were, we were seeing... God touched people, just blessed people. And, and, and week after week, I felt like we were getting these reports. Hey, I felt the healing touch of God. Hey, God provided for me. Hey, and I'm journeying along saying, God, what's up with this? I can't even lay hands on my own wife and see her recover. And yet people in the own church that I pastor are getting, what's up with this? I remember going to the board one Thursday night and saying, hey, you guys kind of know about Gail's sickness. I was wondering, could we mobilize some people to come and, just have prayer for Gail. James 5, just anoint with oil, pray the prayer of faith. Because at this point, I was getting frustrated. I mean, we tried everything. And we went neurology, we went cardiology, we went, and just nothing was working. So I was the board, hey, guys, would you? Oh, pastor, we thought you'd never ask. I mean, almost instantly, this team had put 40 people together on a Monday through Friday to come over at the top of every hour and anoint Gail with oil, pray the prayer of faith. It's pretty cool. So Monday came, and I'll never forget Monday morning, 9 o'clock, doorbell rang, Marvin Barb Parish. Some people, part of this church in the history came. And man, when Marv prayed, oh, God, you thought God was praying himself. You know, he just had it going. 10 o'clock, Jerry and Daphne Van Diver. 11 o'clock, Jim and Cheryl Odie, and so on came. Tuesday came. Wednesday came. My mom came down. The staff came over, and they anointed. They, they anointed everything. Wednesday, Wednesday, I noticed Gail gaining a little more strength. In fact, Wednesday, she uh, actually stayed up. Wednesday night, we had one of our favorite family staples, hot dogs, macaroni and cheese, and cool ranch Dorito potato chips. I mean, God was moving in our home. (laughs) Thursday came, Friday came. Friday at 5 o'clock, a couple who she was in education, and he is a realtor, Bill and Janet Richmond, showed up at the house. Anointed Gil with oil, just kind of doing their deacon thing and praying the prayer of faith, and then left. 
congregation from that Friday at 5 till this day today, my wife has not had one reoccurring symptom of something that wiped her out for almost nine months in her life. To God be the glory. I, I would not be a good minister if I didn't tell you this. God would still be God if we were still wrestling with her physical conditions. I hope your understanding of God allows you to believe that. If we were still dealing with it, God would be God. But here's what I learned. I think the miracle came when I let my pride down and allowed other people's faith to come in and be a portion of strength for me. Chandelof, what was some pride going on? I mean, as pastor of Calvary Church, God's man of faith and power. And I can, can I really ask people to come in want to do what I can't do? And I am convinced today that the miracle happened when I got to the place where I was okay with letting other people's faith be a portion of strength for me in my life. And I got to tell you, that's why being a part of the church is so important. Can you go online and watch service? Absolutely. You can be a part of an online community. But there's nothing like the physical dynamic of coming together and assembling like this. Because you never know when your faith might kick in and be somebody else's strength and faith for them. So if you're in the waiting room, you're in a hurry and God's not. Um, remember, God's in there with you. And remember, it's okay in the waiting room to lean on somebody else's faith. Don't let pride keep you from letting somebody else's faith minister to you. Hey, let's pray. Oh, thanks God for uh, such a meaningful day today for me personally to hug necks and high five people who've had such an influence in my life and to come back and see the, see the great work of God that's happening through this church locally and globally and so I just give you thanks and praise. Lord, I'm well aware that not all Sundays are created equal and that somehow in your, your great plan and your sovereignty, you put, you put services together to accomplish eternal purposes for us, your children's life. So I pray today that your kingdom would come. I pray that your will would be accomplished. And I pray that spiritual transactions would take place in the next couple of minutes in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, um, two questions to two groups of people who may be here this morning. It's possible that you're here this morning and you'd say, you know, Pastor Clay, uh, I'm in the waiting room, but I'm pretty much convinced I'm in the waiting room all by myself. I have never made a personal commitment to the Lord. I've never experienced being born again. I've never invited Christ to come into my life to forgive me of my sins and establish himself as my Savior and Lord. Oh, I know about the church. I know the songs. I know the cadence. I know how to shake hands and hug necks. But to be honest with you, Pastor Clay, I've never crossed that line where I've totally placed my trust in a loving God who can forgive me of my sins and adopt me into his forever family. If you're here this morning, whether you're in the waiting room or not. And you'd say, you know, Pastor Clay, I, I just feel that today is the day i got to seal the deal. I hang out around the church. I know the church. But today is the day I want to confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is my Savior and my Lord. I don't want to just kind of do life on my own anymore and live for myself. I really want to have a personal relationship with God the Father 
through his son, Jesus Christ, who died for my sins. If that's you, and I would love to include you in my final prayer, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come on. But if you're here and you'd say, Pastor Clay, would you, would you include me in your final prayer? I want to make Jesus Christ my Savior and my Lord today. And I'm really feeling like this is the day I want to do it. If that describes you, while everybody else's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, would you just raise your hand and look at me? Because I'd love the privilege of connecting. Yes, thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, thank you, guys. I just want to make eye contact. Yeah, thank you. Five. Someone else say, Pastor Clay, please include me in your final prayer. Yes, thank you, ma'am. God bless you. You'll join these six adults who say, yes, thank you, ma'am. God bless you. You say, yes, thank you. God bless you. Someone else, yeah, thank you, thank you. I see that. Yes, thank you up there. Boy, probably eight, ten. I don't want to believe this, but please, you just say, hey, today's the day. I, I, I really want to cross them. I know the energy draining in life of trying to do life I'm on. Today, I'm, I'm desperately needing Jesus in my life, and I can include you in this prayer. Is there anyone else? We haven't made eye contact, or we haven't... Raise your hand. Yeah, God bless you, sir. Yes, today's your day, man. I believe that with all my heart. Ah, thank you. I see your hand, sweetie. Yes, thank you. I'm telling you, friends, this, I told you not all Sundays are created equal. Fifteen people at least want to make Jesus. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. Don't let this moment pass you by. Thank you. Thank you. There is a divine transaction that can happen. I can't promise you you're, I can't promise you being airlifted out of the waiting room, and I can't promise your circumstances are going to change, but I can promise you you walk out of here with a greater perspective and a peace like you've never had before. Someone else join these who've raised their hand. All right, here's what we're going to do. I want to, I want to pray a prayer. It's just a simple prayer. And I'm going to pray and ask you to repeat the prayer after me, but I'm asking the whole church to do it. And for some of us, we've prayed a prayer like this hundreds of times, but... For scores of people here today, this might be the first time you've ever prayed something like this. And all I'm going to do is ask if you really meant that, if you really meant raising your hand and saying, hey, include me in your prayer. I want to experience being adopted into God's forever family. I want to experience the grace of forgiveness and eternal life. Then this prayer is for you. So come on, Calvary, would you repeat this prayer after me? Lord Jesus, I believe today that you are the Christ the Son of the living God who came from heaven to earth to show me how to live and to die for my sins. I recognize that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and establish yourself as my Savior and my Lord. So with my mouth I confess and in my heart I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I accept your free gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Congratulations. Congratulations for that praying that prayer. so affirm you for praying that prayer. If you prayed that prayer and you happen to be a guest at Calvary Church today or you don't really have a community of believers, you don't have a church that you belong to, I encourage you to consider Calvary. 
person's life changed through a prayer like that is just the beginning. It's, it's, it's an ongoing work of the grace of God and the promises of God being lived out and people's faith coming around you. And if you are still checking out churches, I would encourage you to consider Calvary. Because in my life, I've experienced where this church's faith has been instrumental in my life. And that's really what the church is all about. I want us to stand together, if we could, please. And I said there are two groups of people and two questions, and I won't belabor this or abuse my time. But if you're here today and you're a child of God, you're, you're here today, you love God, you're all in. I mean, you, you, you download every message Pastor Chad has. You're, you're here all the time. You, you bring candy to, to, to children. So you're all in, you love God, but you'd say, hey, Pastor Clay, uh, um, either myself or my family, we find ourselves in the waiting room right now. Just in the last 30 days, maybe situations have come your way that, wow, that wasn't on your radar. Wow, that, and you are in this situation where you're questioning, hey, Lord, are you going to come through? And you're feeling energy drained. You're feeling spiritually depleted. And just the joy of the Lord. The songs that you sing on Sunday aren't with the pep that you normally have because of this issue that's got you in the waiting room. If that describes you, would you just raise your hand? Yeah. Mine's up too. I'm I'm in it right now. You know what? Raising our hands doesn't mean that we're people of any lack of faith. In fact, when I raise my hand today, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying, God, you're taller. You're the tallest. I do not have an answer for what's, but I just, you're taller, so you can see down there. And so uh, I would love to pray a prayer. So if you raise your hand, put it back up just so I can see. If you're standing next to somebody whose hands up and they're in the waiting room, would would you be so kind if you're comfortable? Not if it's weird to. Maybe put your hand on their shoulder and just um, join your faith with my faith as I pray this simple prayer. Pray this simple prayer. God, I come to you today thanking you that you are my refuge and that you are my strength and you are my ever-present help in time of need. I thank you today, God, that your word assures me that you haven't given to me a spirit of fear but of power of love and of clear thinking. Thank you today that your word promises that my steps are ordered of by you and you delight in the details of my life. So God, although I don't and some of my friends don't see how this is all going to play out at the end, we put our faith and our trust in a God who is the tallest. And so I pray today, Lord, that my friends would feel that righteous right hand that Isaiah talks about of God to be their portion of strength to undergird them. I pray this week there'd be a song, there'd be a blog, there'd be something that's read, there'd be an email, a tweet, or something that just reminds us that you've got it and you're the tallest. And so I thank you today. And now, Lord, I pray a blessing on your people. Make your face shine upon them. Give them peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And I pray through our lives this week, your kingdom would come and your will would be accomplished. In Jesus' name, I pray. Calvary, can we show our appreciation to Pastor Clay for a powerful message from God's Word today?